I'd like you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to John chapter 6. I hope you have your Bibles with you this morning and you'll turn with me to John chapter 6 and we're going to begin in verse 15. John chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading in verse 15 and I'm going to read through verse 21. So follow along with me in your copy of God's Word as I read from mine. Verse 15, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing, And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Familiar passage. Yes, I want to help you think about the setting here as we come to these verses and begin with verse 15. Think about the setting here as we've been uh, studying along through John's Gospel. If you were here with us last week or if you know this passage well, you know Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000, actually more like 15,000 because of the women and children that were there also. He broke the five loaves, right? Took the took the meal, this small lunch actually from this boy who was willing to give it up and took the five small loaves and the two fish and the disciples distributed the food at at Jesus' instruction. And when everyone had eaten all they wanted, it says they ate their fill. When everyone had eaten all they wanted, 12 baskets of leftover bread were gathered up. How's that for leftovers? Right? We noted it last week when... When God does something, He doesn't do it halfway, right? When God provides, there's no half provision. There was an abundance and there was leftovers. There was actually food for the disciples to take with them and to eat later, right? And that's what we see here, the 12 baskets of leftover bread that was gathered up after Jesus worked this miracle, this miracle, the hand of Christ with these small loaves and fish. And verse 15 points to what happens After this, it points to what happens next. And I just want you to note that Jesus would have nothing to do with what was happening next, what was was coming and shaping up here. And he began to perceive in this crowd, he says, no, 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 I'm not going to have anything to do with this. Look at verse 15 again. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. To take him by force to make him king. They had seen what Jesus had done, right? And they had eaten their fill. And they they were moved by this and thought, this must be the one the Old Testament prophet prophesied about. This must be the Messiah. Let's make Him our King. They did not understand why Jesus was here, did they? Perceiving, it says, then that they were about to come and take Him by force to make Him King, Jesus withdrew again, 
to the mountain by himself. Now, he knew that what they were looking for in the Messiah was not a Savior for their souls. They didn't see Jesus as a Savior for their souls. They were just thinking about the meal that they had just eaten. (laughs) And we want more of that. Let's make Him our King. We want Him to be able to do more like that. Let's make Him our King. He, He knew that that's what they were thinking. They were not looking at Him as the Messiah that would come and save their souls if they would trust in Him. They were just looking at Him as a King who would, who would liberate their lives. Here's this, this man who does awesome things, who works miraculous works, who does these signs, who we've heard heals. That's why they were already following him. Remember, we noted at the beginning of this chapter, they were, they were following him and there was this great crowd because of the signs that he was performing, the healing. And they say, we want more of that. We'll make him our king. Whether he wants to be or not, we're going to make him be our king, even, even over the authorities in the kingdom. Even if they have, had objected to this, we'll make him our king. And Jesus says, oh no, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. Jesus would not be kept from his mission. He had not come to liberate them from oppressors, but to bring forgiveness of sins and to bring redemption through his shed blood. In fact, Ephesians 1.7 tells us that. Ephesians 1.7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. So how does Jesus respond to what He knew would take place if He hung around? You know, if He stayed with the crowd, how does He respond to what He knew was going to happen if He stayed there? Jesus, it says, Jesus withdrew Himself. He withdraws to the mountain by Himself. And and it's interesting, when we look at the other Gospels, we learn some more about this. We learn from Matthew's Gospel that he also sent the disciples away. Before he withdrew to the mountain by himself, the Gospels tell us he sent the disciples away. He sent them away. Now think about this. He sent them away because he knew they were not strong enough yet to deal with what was going on in the crowd. And he was a... He was concerned that they may be swayed by this crowd's desire to make Jesus their king and be misled themselves. And so he says, now you you go and I'll meet up with you later. He sends them away. And when darkness comes and Jesus hasn't met, uh, met up with them as they expected, verses 16 and 17 says, they went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now, what an interesting setting the disciples find themselves. A very interesting setting. Here they are in the boat, and we know from the passage that we read a a few moments ago that that the winds begin to kick up as they are out on the water. They went down to the sea, got into the boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Very different setting from what they were earlier in the day. Earlier in the day, they were with Jesus, right? They were with Christ and, and the huge crowd and They saw this miracle at Jesus' hand and this feeding of these thousands of people. They also witnessed the excitement of the crowd. Probably was building and growing as as the food was even being passed. They saw the, the admiration of the crowd for Christ. But now they're in a very different situation. Jesus had just sent them away. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 45, we read that immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. 
Then Jesus went up on the mountain by himself. He went up on the mountain to be alone. Matthew and Mark in their Gospels tell us that Jesus went there to pray. Jesus goes up on the the mountain to be alone, to pray. So Jesus sends his disciples on ahead of him to Bethsaida. But when darkness begins to set in and Jesus isn't there, they they cast off. They get in a boat and cast off for their ultimate destination, Capernaum. And, and verse 18 says, look at it again. Verse 18 says, The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Quite a transition from earlier in the day, wouldn't you agree? Very different from where they had been earlier in the day. Quite a transition from from what they had been with, uh, been seeing and experiencing with Jesus at his side. Now it's dark and the disciples are out on the rough water, alone, without Christ. Without Christ. Or or were they? Were they really alone? They might have felt like they were alone. They had been there to see the miracle and to see the crowd and to see the, the admiration of the crowd for Christ. And, and then Jesus says, I want you to go. Go away and, and I'll meet up with you later. And he goes to pray on, on the mountain by himself. And, and now they're in this boat in these high seas. And they're all alone. But are they really alone? Good question, right? Are they really alone? You think Jesus didn't know what he was doing when he sent them away without him? No, Jesus certainly knew what lay ahead for his disciples. In fact, I would venture to suggest that he intended this storm for their own good. And I think we see it in the story that unfolds before us. Did Jesus know what he was doing in sending them away without him? Absolutely. And I think the storm that comes and rears its ugly head and laps at the sides of their boat is intended for their own good. Even think about that. Have you ever been in a have you ever been in a boat in in rough waters? Have you ever been out on on rough waters before when the waves are lapping at the side of your boat and maybe you're not quite sure if your motor's powerful enough to get you back to shore? How could being cast about in a small boat on rough waters be for their good, you might think? How could that be for their good? Well, I, I would suggest it's, it, it, God intends it for their good, and Jesus knows what's going on, intends it for their good, because that's often how God chooses to stretch us. That's how God often chooses to grow us and mature us in Christ, in our walk with Him, in our faith. That's often how God chooses to stretch and strengthen His children by allowing them to go into a storm. We learn from Romans 8.28, a passage you likely know very well, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, I doubt that the disciples were thinking this way. (laughs) Right? Waves slapping over the sides. They might be bailing water at this time, going, whoa, what's going on? But but wait, it's, it's okay. We trust in Christ and all things are going to be, good, be for our good because we trust in... I don't think they were thinking that way. Just like you and I don't think that way, right? Just like you and I don't often think this, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. 
as the waves of life kind of crash into our boat, right? In fact, I was thinking about it, I don't think I ever recall any believer I've ever met saying that Romans 8.28 is their life verse. (laughs) Is that your life verse? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, why is that? Why is it that we might not want to claim Romans 8.28 is our life verse? I think it's because we don't even like thinking about hardship, right? We don't even like thinking about trouble. Um, Dave Sprague and I were traveling back from the men's retreat last night, and he he kind of mentioned it's dark enough now, it's late enough now, the deer ought to all be settled down, so hopefully we won't see any deer out. And he said, I've never hit a deer. And I said, I've never hit a deer either. I didn't hit a deer last night either. But I said to my dad, my father's hit like four in the last ten years. I don't know how he, you know, he's hit four. I've never hit any. But every time I talk about it, I go, I kind of like cringe that I don't want to talk about it. You ever ever do that? You go, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to hit a deer. You know, we think, you know, if we talk about it, it'll make it happen. Right? I think we kind of feel that way about Romans 8.28 that says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things. I don't want to think about all things working together for good. I'm hoping those all things won't happen. Because we sometimes, we look at the waves that are crashing into our, our boat of life, right? And we struggle with those at times. At times our faith is challenged to the point where we think, I, I love you, Lord, but, but I don't see, I can't possibly see how this could be for my good. Right? As a matter of fact, we get very diplomatic about it at times and we say, Lord, I'm not even sure how this could be for your good. Right? You, you may not want to do this, Lord, because this, this probably isn't even good for you to have me struggling like this. Poor little me, Lord. You know, I think Jesus wanted His disciples to learn to trust Him. I think He wanted His disciples to grow in their faith and to deepen in their walk with Him and to trust Him more fully. I know He wants us to trust Him. I know He wants us to grow in our walk with Him and deepen in our faith with Him. And I think that Jesus was gracious here in this situation to give His disciples another opportunity to witness His divine nature. Because we know what happens next, right? We know the rest of the story. We know what happens next. And God was gracious to give them another clear demonstration of who He is. God in human flesh. Look at verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Now, think about the setting for a moment here. The Gospels of Matthew and Mark tell us that it was about the fourth watch. That's somewhere between 3 uh, uh, three and 6 a.m. And if, if we back up a bit, we realize that they they cast off as it got dark. And and we learn here that they've been rowing for three or four miles. For how many hours? They hadn't gotten very far, have they? Even if it's three o'clock. And they cast off when it got dark. When? You know what? About nine? Maybe ten? 
They, they have been working hard. They have been laboring. Mark chapter 6 and verse 48 says that Jesus saw that they were making headway painfully. No kidding. For the wind was against them. Lord, how could you let that happen? I happen to believe the Lord made it happen. How about you? You ever stop and think about trials that you face and difficulties you face and you say, Lord, how could you let this happen? And the Lord is saying, I didn't let it happen. I made it happen. And yet, He wants us to trust Him because He has the answers. He has the provision. Have you ever been out on a boat? I asked you earlier, have you ever been out on a boat that was crippled in some way and not quite up to speed and the waves kick up and I remember a few years ago, Ken, you remember a few years ago out on Houghton Lake when you guys took us out for a boat ride and there was nothing wrong with your boat, but man, did a storm come up like that. And we just looked up, we looked that way, and there's this big dark black cloud coming and it was, we weren't that far from where we put in. And all of a sudden we we're engulfed in this storm and the rain is coming down. And I remember thinking to myself, I can't remember if maybe we even said this to each other, if there's another boat in front of us, we won't see it. We're just kind of puttering along really slow trying to wait for the storm to pass. We knew it was going to pass. But a few years ago I had my father-in-law's boat. He's got a little a little thing. And every once in a while when we put it on Higgins Lake, I feel like we're going to get swamped in this thing. It's a, it's a powerful boat. It has two little engines in it. But like a fool, um, you who know Higgins Lake, I drove around the island with that boat, really close to the island on the on the west side, and I didn't realize how shallow it was there and that there were rocks there. And it's a little boat that has jets, and it sucks up the water and spits it out. Well, it also sucks up rocks. And I'm motoring along, and I've got two or three of my kids with me because it's not a very big boat. We're taking turns, and, and uh, we had cast off from the north shore of the North State Park, and all of a sudden, I heard this, you know, like, uh-oh, what did I do? And the, and the, and it's going, rattling in there. It's like, oh man, what did I do? And I'm killing the motors. I'm like, what did I do? And I look, and I was like, oh my word, I actually got out of the boat and pushed the boat out of the rocks. We was so shallow, and I felt like an idiot, and I still feel like an idiot today. To even tell the story, to admit that I did that, right? I don't drive anywhere near the island these days because because I know there's there's rocks on the. At least I know there's some on the west side. I, I keep looking for deep water. I was like, am I in deep water here? Because I was in deep water that day, even though it was shallow. And the waves started kicking up, and one engine wouldn't start because there were rocks jamming the impeller and. The other engine would start, but with one engine, that boat just wanted to like turn in a circle. And so I'm fighting the boat this way and trying to give it enough gas. It just hardly had, it had half power and the wind is beating on us and kind of pushing us this way and we're trying to go that way. And it took forever for us to get back to where we were. And I thought, they have got to be worried sick about what's going on with us. And the waves are hitting the side of the boat and it wouldn't take much for us to get a good wave and fill the boat. I know how I was not scared. I was concerned. <laughs> Do you believe that? I had my kids in a boat. My little, you know, my kids were even younger then. And we finally got back and I was relieved, but I was sick. And I told my father-in-law, I don't know what I did, but I'll pay to fix it. He never told me how much it cost to fix it. He's a gracious father-in-law. 
But he said, buy a pair of skis for the boat. How's that? I said, okay. He was very gracious. But that day, the waves hitting the boat, and I, I didn't know what was going to happen to us. We were, I'm not very skilled sailor. I'm a Marine. I'll, I'll, you know, I say, I just get on the boat and then jump off in the water, right? That's what they train you to do. Just get on the good boat and jump off into the water. Um, but that day I was a little worried. I was, a little, I was scared. Now these guys, many of them were fishermen and here they are and the waves are kicking up and they look up and I'm not sure they're too concerned with the waves and the storm as much as what they see when they look into the storm. Jesus saw they were making headway painfully, right? So here the disciples struggling against these waves and out of the darkness they look up and, and what do they see? They think, well, they're terribly frightened by what they think they see. Jesus, of course, we know Jesus appears out on the water and they're frightened. No, they were Actually, they were terrified. Matthew 14.26 says, But when the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! (laughs) Probably just like that. It is a ghost, right? With their voices cracking up. And and they cried out in fear. Can you picture it? (laughs) Maybe you can. Maybe you can't. Here they are fighting this raging water, these howling winds and these waves and making very little progress at that. And they've been at it for hours. And all of a sudden they see a man swiftly walking, moving through the storm. Might I suggest that nothing had prepared them for what they thought was a ghost? But it was no ghost. And we can praise the Lord. That it was no ghost. And they did too. He says to them in John 6.20, look at it. Because this is something we need to hear. It is I. Do not be afraid. You hear it? It's Jesus telling you in the midst of your storms, it is I. Do not be afraid. And verse 21 says, then they were glad to take Him into the boat. No kidding. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. In Matthew 14.24, we learn that the boat by this time, it says, was a long way from the land. In the Greek it says many stadia. I learned this week that a stadia is about 607 feet. It's about an eighth of a mile. They were many stadia, many eighths of a mile away from shore. And so this wasn't, as some might suggest, Jesus actually walking on the shore and the guys were lost. And they thought, oh, he's walking on water. But no, they were many stadia, many eighths of a mile away from shore. This truly is God in human flesh. Amen? This is God demonstrating His mighty power in the midst of these turbulent waters. Once again, the disciples have more living proof that Jesus is God in human flesh, Creator and Sustainer of the universe. It's not, a, it's not a problem for the Creator and the Sustainer of the universe to violate the laws of gravity, right? Because they don't apply to Him. <laughs> they only apply to the created beings. That's us. And so Jesus is out on the water in these turbulent seas, 
the creator and sustainer of the universe, and Jesus speaks to them, speaking peace, speaking encouragement, to put them at ease and to comfort them, telling them, do not be afraid. This was no difficulty for Jesus to walk on water amidst these rough seas. He's the maker and sustainer of life, says Colossians 1.16, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. That's our Jesus. That's our Maker. That's our Creator. That's our Sustainer of life. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. And when Jesus says, do not be afraid, we need not be afraid. Jesus is the giver and sustainer of life. It is no trouble for Him to calm the waves. And it's no trouble for Him to calm their fears. And it's no trouble for Him to calm our fears. Listen, Jesus wanted them to believe, to grow in their faith. He wants them to trust Him more fully. And He wants the same for you and me. But there's more. There's more. Would you go to Matthew 14 with me for a moment? Matthew chapter 14. I want you to see that there's more to the story. We know, we know that there's more to the story if you've read the other Gospels and you know the connection here. John's kind of abbreviated the story for his purposes here to point to Jesus Christ as God in human flesh, but we we find more in Matthew's Gospel, looking at Matthew 14 and verse 28. Follow along with me as I read for a refresher on this familiar story. Right after Jesus tells them, It is I, do not be afraid, Matthew tells us, verse 28, Matthew 14, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I just had to think here when I thought they thought it was a ghost. That seems like a foolish thing to do if you think it's a ghost to tell me, you know, tell me to come to you. And the ghost would say, sure, come on. He had to have an idea. It really was Jesus, right? Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, because he says, Lord, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And in verse 29, Jesus says one word, right? He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. What? Did you see that? Peter walked on the water and came to Jesus. But, and that's like us too, isn't it? Just when we realize God's providing, He's good, and then we start to doubt, and there's a, we can say, but, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out. Which is appropriate, right? Lord, save me! And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And we say, no kidding. Right? Where have you guys been? Where have you guys been? 
Of course. <laughs> no kidding. How many more miracles do you need? I want you to note this. What I see here is a reminder of our own weakness at times in Peter. We often don't ask for what we need most. We touched on this just a little bit in Sunday school this morning. We often don't ask for what we really need. It's interesting that Peter didn't ask Jesus for more faith. When he saw him, and he had an idea because he says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come. He should have said, Lord, give me more faith. (laughs) Because that's exactly what Jesus points to when he goes down. And Jesus is gracious and he's nearby. He's not far away to snatch him out of the water. Peter didn't ask for more faith. What he asked of Jesus was that he command him to come to him and and, and Peter didn't need more proof of who Jesus was. He, he really needed more faith, right? Because there's proof upon proof upon proof of who Jesus is. And, and Peter says, just give me one more proof. Tell me to come to you, because if I can walk on the water, then I'll believe. And what he really needed to pray for was more faith. You realize that's where we are at at times? What we don't need is more proof that Jesus provides. We don't need more proof that Jesus, the crucified one, risen from the dead, is who He says He is. We don't need more proof that He saves and that He hears. We need more faith. We need to trust Him more fully. Peter didn't ask for what he really needed. But Jesus calls him and Peter steps out Soon he begins to doubt and was realized that walking on water really wasn't what he needed. <laughs> right? Because he cries out, Jesus, save me! Help me! He needed more faith. You notice that Jesus didn't give him immediately what he really needed. He went ahead and answered his request. He says, okay, if you really want to come out here, come. But I have a feeling you're going down. And for a few steps, he was okay. And then he began to doubt when he saw the wind. No, what Peter really needed was to believe in and trust in Jesus. And Jesus was gracious and rescued Peter from that water. And Jesus is gracious and rescues us. Yes? You see, I see you and me in Jesus' disciples that day. You see yourself there? You see yourself in Jesus' disciples that day with plenty of proof, but not enough faith. They still didn't have it. After all they'd witnessed, they still didn't have the faith that they really needed. You understand that? You understand that they didn't have what they needed? And sometimes... God may delay bringing us out of a storm until we've learned to trust Him. You realize that? Sometimes God may delay the answer to our plea because He knows we'll only learn in the storm to trust Him more. But then there's other times. There's other times when we cry out for rescue and and we have not learned to truly trust Him. And God may give us just what we ask for knowing that's really not what we need. 
He says, that's okay. I'll give you what you're asking for because I can use that too. As he did with Peter. Having foolishly wished that he could walk on water too. Just show me who you are. And he does so that we might learn by further experience what it is to trust him. It doesn't say that Peter tried to swim. (laughs) It says he called for help. He was beginning to trust Jesus more. You know, we don't often see the storms in life as God's way of deepening our faith in him, but they are. You realize that? We do not often see the storms in life as God's hand helping us grow in our faith of Him and trust of Him. But they are. I like what J.C. Ryle writes, explains how followers of Christ must comprehend the trials. The trials help shape us in the image of Christ. He says this, helping us understand that those trials do help shape us in the image of Christ, when he writes, trial, trial, we must distinctly understand, is part of the diet which all true Christians must expect. It is one of the means by which their grace is proved and by which they find out what there is in themselves. Winter as well as summer Cold as well as heat, clouds as well as sunshine are all necessary to bring the fruit of the Spirit to ripeness and maturity. We do not naturally like this. No kidding. We do not naturally like this. We would rather cross the lake with calm weather and favorable winds with Christ always by our side and the sun shining down on our faces, but it may not be. It is not in this way that God's children are made partakers of His holiness, as Hebrews 12.10 tells us. Abraham and Jacob and Moses and David and Job were all men of many trials. Let us be content to walk in their footsteps and to drink of their cup in our darkest hours. We may seem to be left, but we are never really alone. This is a lesson the disciples needed to learn that day. This is also the lesson that we're to learn by this text today. God gave us his word so that we might learn this lesson without having to be in the boat on the water. As Ryle says, it's, it's through the trials and storms we're made more like Christ and that in, in them we are never really alone. I want you to listen to James chapter 1. Listen to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 passage you're familiar with, I'm sure. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete 
lacking in nothing. You realize that God doesn't want you to be lacking in faith. He doesn't want you to be lacking in hope. He doesn't want you to be lacking in understanding that there are storms that He even brings into our lives so that we might learn to trust Him more. Have you ever stopped to think that Jesus wasn't in a hurry that day? It's one of the things I noticed this week as I was thinking about this text. He, he goes up on the mountain to pray and He says, you go away, I'll, I'll, I'll catch you later. And while they were out for hours struggling, He was interceding in prayer. Do you realize that? Jesus wasn't in a hurry that day. And you know Jesus never is in a hurry. I was thinking about that this week and thought Jesus wasn't in a hurry that day and I and I don't think he ever really is in a hurry. And then this weekend I was listening to Tom Harmon preach and he said he's working on trying to remove that word hurry from his vocabulary because he's like hurry, you know, hurry, let's hurry because <laughs> he's driven like many of us are, right? And he says you realize that Jesus only gave one one command to hurry. And it was to Judas. You remember what he told Judas? What you're doing when he was betraying him? Do it quickly. That's a powerful thought, isn't it? Jesus wasn't in a hurry that day. He, he's really never in a hurry. Sometimes we get to, we get in a hurry and we, we run ahead and we think we're going to answer the troubles with the just the perfect answer and Lord we got it all figured out and here's how you need to answer it and hurry too would you please you realize that though Jesus wasn't in a hurry then and he's not in a hurry now that his timing is perfect his timing was perfect then and it's still perfect today and sometimes we struggle in the midst of the storm because we lack the faith necessary to strengthen us. And we fail to believe that God's testing is necessary and His timing is perfect. And we begin to think, we've got it all figured out that this can't be good for me and it really can't be good for you either, God. And just as Jesus provided assurance of His care and provision for His disciples in the midst of the storm that night, Oh, how He provided for them. And when He got in the boat, the winds ceased. It's another pointer to His ultimate care and provision through the forgiveness of sins and eternal life for all who believe in His name. You realize that? It's another pointer to His gracious provision for forgiveness of sins. And eternal life for all who repent of sin, turn from sin and turn to Christ in faith. Once again, he says, don't be afraid. It's me. I'm here. Which is what he did when he went to the cross. He said, don't be afraid. It's me. I'm here. The sin that you deserve to be punished for, I'm taking it. I'm taking God's just and righteous and holy wrath on myself. So you don't have to face the wrath of God. 
We don't need more evidence. We need more faith. We need to trust Him more. Let's pray. Oh, precious Heavenly Father, we, we thank You that we do have evidence that You've been so gracious to give us Your Word filled with evidence. And we even have evidence in our own lives that You do care, You do provide. We have evidence surrounding us in Your creation. Oh God, help us to trust You more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.